0: Turn your Bibles tonight to 1st Timothy, chapter 4. 1st Timothy, chapter 4. We're going to look tonight at verses 7 through 9. 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 7. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance please be seated let's take time to pray God tonight as we come to these verses we ask that by your spirit you would open our eyes to behold the wonderful truth That lies here for us. Speak to us, God, for we your servants are listening. Use these words to transform us by the renewing of our minds. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. These verses are part of a larger paragraph. And the theme of this larger paragraph is being a good servant of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young man, pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul is concerned that Timothy be strong in his duty as a pastor, be faithful and serve God well. And so as he talks here about being a good servant of Christ, The emphasis in these verses is the pursuit of godliness. And he's been teaching Timothy that to be a good servant of Christ, he must be of sound doctrine. But now he adds something to that. To be a good servant of Christ, you not only need sound doctrine, but you need godliness. And so he says, look, Timothy, if you're going to serve Christ well... You need to be of sound doctrine and you need to be godly. So he tells him to pursue godliness. And the message for you and I tonight is very simple. A good servant of Christ must pursue godliness. If you want to serve Christ well, you must be godly. Now, I want to mention this word servant. As he talks to him about being a good servant. You see that in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. What do we mean by a servant? Well, servants are those who work on the behalf of someone else. People who are others oriented. You do know that as Christians, we're all supposed to be others oriented. We're supposed to be geared toward doing for others. We're all supposed to be servants. Just like the Lord Jesus was a servant. And part of being a good servant is pursuing godliness. Now, before we look at these verses in detail, let's talk about what godliness is. We need to make sure we understand. Godliness is simply... Proper beliefs and practices as they relate to God in other words it is conforming to God in your beliefs and your practices John MacArthur said it like this godliness is a right attitude and a right response toward the creator God look back just a few verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and look what Paul said great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit seen by angels proclaimed among the nation believed on in the world taken up in glory now obviously in that verse he's describing jesus he became flesh he was vindicated by the spirit rising from the dead he was proclaimed in the nation, believed on, then ascended back to heaven. But look what he says at the beginning of the verse. This is the mystery of godliness. And as he talks about godliness, he goes on to describe Jesus. The point that I want you to get is the best understanding of godliness is it is what Jesus was. You want to know what godliness is, you look at who Jesus was. and You look at what he did, you look at his life, his beliefs and his attitudes and his practices. That's godliness. To be godly is to be like Jesus in every area of our lives. And tonight we're going to talk about the reality that to be good servants of Christ, godliness is something that we should pursue. Now, there are three things I want to point out to you in these couple of verses. Here's the first one. The first thing we see in verse 7 is a hindrance to godliness. A hindrance to godliness. Verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Godliness is a life that is conformed to sound doctrine. Now what what do I mean by sound doctrine? The word sound means healthy. Lack of sound mind and body, right? So sound doctrine simply means teaching that is correct, that is right, that is good, that is true according to the scripture. So when we talk about being of sound doctrine, then what Paul's warning here is against anything that would be contrary to sound doctrine. You notice in verse 6, he said, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. So in light of this good doctrine, he says, have nothing to do with these irreverent silly miss why because the godliness he's calling timothy pursue is hindered by this godless irreverent teaching let let me say it another simple way godliness is a life shaped by god's truth godliness is a life shaped by god's truth so anything that is contrary to god's truth is a hindrance to godliness does that make sense if godliness is conforming to the teachings of the scripture then anything that's contrary to the teachings of the scripture is a hindrance to becoming godly and that's what paul's warning about irreverent silly myths he said have nothing to do with them now what is what is he talking about well the word irreverent means unholy It is something that is worldly and not godly. It's something that's secular as opposed to sacred. It's something that's profane as as opposed to being holy. Now what does this word silly mean? You know what the word actually means? It actually is a word that describes old women. We might say it like this. We, we would call it old wives' tales. Silly myths, old wives' tales. It's like a fairy tale that a grandmother might tell her child. It's something that's insignificant. It's made up. It's not true. It's invented. It's like a fable that is devoid of any significance or any truth. Here's the idea. When he talks about silly myths... He means something that is, it has no basis in historical facts in Scripture. It's not based on the historical truth of Scripture. So when Paul says have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, he's describing any belief, any teaching, any idea, any viewpoint, any perspective that is ungodly, of no significance, and simply without any basis in Scripture. This is contrary to sound doctrine. It's contrary to the correct teaching of Scripture. Anything, any teaching, any idea, any opinion, any belief, that is contrary to the correct teaching of Scripture, that is not consistent with the right teaching of God's Word. He says, have nothing to do with it. Refuse to pay attention to it. Reject it. This is where the Christian needs discernment. You need to be able to discern what is true and good and beneficial from what is false and bad and worthless. You cannot reject what is false if you don't know what is false. You cannot stand for what is true if you don't know what is true. You can't differentiate between what is true doctrine and what is false doctrine if you don't know the difference. And once something has been determined, some teaching or philosophy or idea that's contrary to sound doctrine then it must be rejected out of hand and this is what I want you to understand one of the biggest hindrances to true godliness among God's people is that people buy into false teachings we listen to preachers who teach false doctrines and we we hear this stuff and it sounds good and they're good communicators And they, you know, and they have a name, they're reputable, so we buy into all this stuff and we find ourselves believing things that simply are not true. And we're led down a wrong road. Look, if you feed on foods that are toxic and unhealthy and rotten, you can't grow healthy. It's the same thing spiritually. You're not gonna grow healthy spiritually. By feeding on teachings and ideas that are not true. That are ungodly. That are secular. Correct. Listen, why is this so important? Correct belief is the basis for correct behavior. Correct belief is the basis for correct behavior. If your beliefs are wrong, your behavior will be wrong if your life is to be conformed to sound teaching good teaching then you must avoid false teaching if your life is to be shaped by the truth of God then you must reject the lies of the enemy if you would be a good servant of Christ you have to be able to identify false teaching and you must have nothing to do with it except for to warn others So Paul says, if you're going to be a good servant of Christ, Timothy, you have to avoid hindrances to godliness. And then he tells us to pursue godliness. And So uh, the next thing I want you to see after the hindrance to godliness, I want you to see the pathway to godliness. The pathway to godliness. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself... For godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Rather than pursuing, rather than entertaining worthless ideas, teachings, train yourself for godliness. In other words, godliness requires training. Now, this word training comes from the world of athletics. It refers to the training that athletes had to undergo to prepare to compete in the games, like the Olympic Games. It was rigorous training. It was intense. It was demanding. And Paul is using this word to describe the exercise, the discipline necessary to develop godliness. Just as Olympic athletes have to exercise and discipline themselves physically so that they can compete at the highest level. So the believer, Paul says, is to exercise and discipline himself spiritually for the attaining of godliness. It involves exercise of what we call the spiritual disciplines. We train ourselves by means of the spiritual disciplines. And I'll mention just a few. Some we've been talking about on Wednesday night. The first one I'll mention is prayer. Training yourself for godliness involves exercising prayer, disciplining yourself in prayer. Because nothing of any spiritual significance will be accomplished apart from God. Nothing of any spiritual value, no spiritual accomplishments in your life will come to pass without God. You are absolutely, totally dependent on Him for any growth in godliness. So ongoing communion with God is needed to help you grow in godliness. Prayer demonstrates your dependence on God. So prayer is a discipline that's required for godliness. Training yourself for godliness also involves the discipline called Bible intake. That means we need to be feeding on the scripture. If your actions are going to be conformed to sound doctrine. Remember we said godliness is basically conforming to what the Bible teaches. Well, if, your, if your, your actions are going to conform to what the Bible teaches, then you have to know what the Bible teaches. For your thinking to be conformed to the teaching of Scripture, you have to know the teaching of Scripture. So to be sound in doctrine, you need to feed on the Word of God day by day. You need to do what you're doing now. Sit under the preaching of God's Word. Every time you have... The opportunity you need to take advantage of the opportunity to involve yourself in small group Bible study we do that on every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock not only here at church preaching Sunday school on your own daily reading studying meditating listen you need to be a man or woman of the book that's part of training yourself that is a indispensable non-negotiable part of training yourself if you're going to be godly. Another discipline needed to train yourself for godliness is the discipline of confession and repentance. Listen, if you walk around in the dirt long enough, you're going to get some on you. As long as we remain living in, living in this old sinful world, we're going we're gonna to be tarnished by it. We're going we're gonna to get some of it on us. We're going to still fall into sin as long as we live in this dirty, messed up world. And as long as we, we still have sin, we need to be practicing confession and repentance. We're going to sin in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. So we discipline ourselves to confess every sin the moment you become aware of it. That means the minute you know you've disobeyed God, by doing what He would not have you to do, or by failing to do what He would want you to do. The minute you know you've disobeyed God, you confess. And you make the determination in your heart by God's strength to turn from it. Not only that, you take time every day in your daily prayer time to pray a prayer of confession. The one that we use in the bulletin on Sunday mornings is a wonderful prayer for you to use in confessing your sins to the Lord. I pray that prayer every morning in my own personal time with God. In addition to confessing any sin that I'm aware of in my own life. Listen, what's the, what's, what are you doing when you take time and confess? We're seeking to daily correct ourselves, right? We're seeking daily to correct ourselves and to daily get ourselves a little bit closer to being like Jesus. Being conscious of our sin. Listen, the most important thing about confession is acknowledging before God that you, you recognize this is sin. See, confession, the word actually means to agree with. You are agreeing with God about what you've done you're acknowledging this is sin. And confession and repentance is a critical part of training yourself for godliness. Closely related to that is a discipline of what the Puritans called mortifying your sin. It simply means killing your sin. Let me give you a good verse. Romans chapter 8. Verse 13 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. Killing sin is the term. What does that mean? Look, you would discipline your child to train him to avoid harmful behavior, right? You discipline your child to train him not to do things that are harmful, not to do things he shouldn't do. Well, killing your sin is training yourself not to do things you shouldn't do. It's disciplining yourself not to do the things that are harmful or hurtful. You don't just confess your sin and then go about your way and forget it. No, you take the energy and the effort to kill it, to be done with it. You take the steps to stop sinning. In other words, you identify what this sin is. If you're looking at something on the internet that you know you shouldn't, take whatever measures you have to to end it. Put a filter on your phone. That will not allow you to access it there are a lot of ways to do it but take steps to prevent you from committing this sin to any extent that you can killing your sin means taking seriously the the need to remove sin from our lives that's part of training yourself for godliness here's another another discipline you need for godliness is what paul calls in galatians walking by the spirit Galatians 5.16 Walk by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What is walking by the Spirit? Think of it this way. What is the only way you can walk? What's the only way to walk? Stand up. Stand up. Put this stuff down. Just walk. Alright, I stopped. Now I want you to show us how to walk two steps at a time. Anybody in here know how to walk two steps at a time? You can't. If you do more than one step at a time, you're not walking more. You're hopping or jumping or skipping or something. The only way you can walk is one step at a time. What is walking by the Spirit? Moment by moment. Living under the influencing control of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is submitting to the influencing control of the Spirit of God that lives in you. Doing that moment by moment. Decision by decision. Action by action. In other words, you don't just get up in the morning, pray a prayer, Holy Spirit, help me to live right today, and forget. No. It's every decision, every action, you, you consciously submit yourself to the control of the Spirit, praying for help, looking for strength. Off and on, all day long. We discipline ourselves. So that step by step, action by action, decision by decision, we're looking to God so that by His Spirit in us, He will control us. That's what being filled by the Spirit means. It means to be controlled by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit means living under the influence and control of the Spirit. And that can only happen... Moment by moment. That's why Paul uses the analogy of walking and not jumping or running or sprinting. Walking. Here's the point in listing all these disciplines for you. Just like becoming an Olympic athlete takes hard work, it takes exercise, it takes sacrifice, it takes discipline. Godliness requires no less. Training yourself for godliness takes work on your part. But as a spiritual work, it is a spiritual work fueled by the strength of God. In other words, you're not left on your own to try to do it. You've got the Spirit of God in you to empower you, to give you the desire, to give you the strength, to give you the help to train yourself. You've got the people of God to come alongside you. Here's a verse that I've given you many times. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's at work in you enabling you to train yourself, discipline yourself by the Word and by the Spirit. The pathway to godliness is spiritual discipline. You have to train yourself to be godly. But oh, what tremendous benefit there is to godliness. In verse 8, I want you to notice finally the value of godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul admits, look, there's value in physical exercise. But the value of physical exercise is limited. It benefits your physical health and your physical well-being. But it doesn't grow you spiritually. And the benefits of physical exercise are limited to this life. How many of you have ever heard of Earl Pitt's? He was a radio personality. Used to have a great American breadneck, what he called him. I used to love to listen to him. He talked about a friend of his who got on a health kick. He wouldn't. He said he wouldn't eat ding dongs no more or cheeseburgers. He was eating carrots and drinking vegetable juice. Started running every day. Then, while he's out running one day, he got hit by a bus. And killed him. He said, "I." I went to the funeral home and I have to confess he looked pretty healthy for a dead guy. And then Earl prince said, if God wanted us to be healthy, he wouldn't have been in bypass surgery. (laughs) The point is, physical exercise, the benefit of it is over the moment you stop breathing. As soon as you get hit by a bus, all that running you did, the value of it is done. Paul says, but godliness. Benefits you not only in this life. But throughout eternity. That's why it's so important to train yourself for godliness. Now. Think about the value of godliness for this life. How does godliness value. How does it benefit us for this life. Because. As you become godly, essentially what that is, is you're becoming more like Jesus. The more you become like Jesus, as your likeness to Christ increases, so does your experience of the blessings associated with your relationship with Christ. In other words, the more like Jesus you become, the greater the blessings of the Christian life that you experience. The more you experience those blessings, the more like Jesus you become. Let me give you an example. As you grow in godliness, your joy in the Lord multiplies. The more like Jesus you are, the more joy you take in God and the things of God. The more you become like Jesus the greater is the peace of God you have. You have a greater sense of that peace that passes understanding as you grow in godliness. The comfort that you feel in, in moments of trial, the comfort of God's Spirit, the comfort of His Word, that is greater as you become more like Jesus. Listen, the assurance of your own salvation becomes more real and stronger the more you become like Christ. There's a greater love for God as godliness increases. There's a greater love for people as godliness increases. You become more effective in service as godliness increases. You become more effective as a witness as godliness increases. What tremendous benefits there are in this life. For godliness. But Paul says godliness also has value for the life to come. Indeed, the greatest value of godliness lies in the next life. You see, when the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness, we will experience the blessings of God along with eternal life in the presence of God. Here's the question. How does godliness affect the next life? Let me give you a verse. Hebrews 12, 14. In this verse, the author of Hebrews is talking about training for godliness, but he's using a different phrase. He's talking about striving for holiness. But it's essentially the same thing. Listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews 12 14 says, Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, those who make no effort to be holy, those who make no effort to grow in godliness, will not see the Lord. Here's the idea. Train yourself for godliness because godliness is evidence of your salvation. A godly life is the assurance that the blessings of heaven wait for you. Paul says, train yourself for godliness because that's your greatest assurance. That all that he's promised awaits you. That all the blessings of heaven are yours. Indeed the author of Hebrews says without godliness no one will see the Lord. To be a good servant of Jesus in anything you do. To be effective in service. We need to be like Jesus. We need godliness. But as I've talked to you about on Wednesday night before, it's not automatic. We have to pursue it. That's why Paul said, look, don't have anything to do with this silly, irreverent, untruthful viewpoints and teachings and philosophies. Give yourself to the truth. Train yourself. To be godly through prayer and through the word through exercising the spiritual disciplines because of the great benefit that it holds for you for this life and for the next listen the, the bottom line in this passage is clear if we want to be good servants of Christ we must pursue godliness now I want you to think about this just a minute Think about how much sweeter your fellowship with God might be if you become more like Jesus. Think about how much greater your effectiveness in serving him might be if you become more like Jesus. Think about the glories of heaven that await you. Think of that and determine to discipline yourself, train yourself for godliness. Let's pray.